Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. We're just going to be in verse 1. We're going to be starting there. If anyone needs a Bible, please raise your hand. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Bible anyone? We have a bunch of Bibles needed up here. Anyone else? Spanish or English? Another Bible over here. We have a couple more Bibles. All right. Yes. <laughs> if you don't have a Bible, keep the Bible. Okay. We are going to right over here. A couple more here, Solomon. Chapter 5, verse 1 says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Now go down to thir verse 13, which says, just the first half of the verse, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would speak to us we are a free people. What does that mean? How do we get there? I pray that you would show us that, Lord. I pray for every church in the city. I pray for Pastor Carson, that, uh, the Calvary Chapel that just started uh, in Arlington, that you would bless and strengthen that church. But, Lord, all the churches around the city, Lord, I pray there would be a trembling before you as they Get your word in front of, of, of them, Lord, as they open the word. And that, that they would, their, uh, their trembling would, would turn to joy, Lord. The joy that we have when we know that we're free. That we're free in Christ. Pray this for us in every church in the city. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. So it says, stand fast in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. You could just as well say slavery. It's the same word. The NIV says this, Galatians 5.1 same verse, it says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. So this sounds, this all sounds wonderful, but what does it mean? What does it mean that those, a man or woman who is in Christ this is only talking about a man or woman who's in Christ. What does it mean that they're free? So we talked about this a couple weeks ago between verse 26 of chapter 3 and here in verse 1 of chapter 4, the word slave or word like it mentioned 13 times. It's a lot of times in that many verses. But the word freeman 
or son or daughter, same thing, they're interchangeable, is 15 times. So slave or freedman or freedwoman, 15 times about each. Now, according to this book, the book of Galatians, you're either one or the other. You're either a slave or you're free. You're either a free man or a free woman. Galatians, the whole Bible teaches that from Genesis to Revelation. The book of Galatians, of course, it's speaking of spiritual terms. In the spiritual sense, you're either a slave or you are free. Which are you? Which one are you? Well, Pastor Steve, uh, tell me what a slave is and tell me what a freeman is. A slave, as it is described in the book of Galatians, has a master. The master is the law. And the master is ever wagging his finger in the face of the slave. You're guilty, you're not good enough, you have to do more. Shame, shame, shame. That's the slave. A free man, a free woman, or a daughter, a son, says, I was a slave, but my freedom was purchased and I'm no longer a slave, I'm at peace, I'm at rest, I'm at joy that no one can steal from me. My freedom was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. In March, Stephanie and I went to Jacksonville Beach. A friend of mine, actually my friend Don, who discipled me, 35 years ago. He's done very well for himself. He has an oceanfront home right on the ocean. And he really blessed us by letting us stay there for 10 days. And as I do, I, I walk, I try to walk as many days as possible for hours, just praying. And on the beach, there is home after home after home after home. And it's just, just, almost screaming out wealth. I mean, every one of these homes, every single one is worth millions of dollars. And I understand that goes from Jacksonville Beach all the way to St. Augustine. Nothing but houses, every one of them, uh, just millions of dollars. And uh, just the, the sheer amount of wealth stockpiled in all those houses, um, just yet the cost... The cost of all those houses combined don't even come close to one drop of the blood of Jesus Christ. Not even close. Your freedom was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. You're no longer a slave. We read that verse. It's in Galatians chapter 3. It's in, um, in verse... Uh, seven of Galatians chapter, rather chapter four. You're no longer a slave. You're a sl your son. You become a slave. You become a daughter. You become a son. You're no longer a slave because your your God, the Father God, He purchased your freedom. You didn't do anything. 
to deserve it, to purchase it, you can't contribute anything. It's the blood of God. The blood of God is really expensive. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20 says this, you were bought at a price. First Peter 1, 18 and 19 um, says this, you know that a price was paid to redeem and it was not paid with things that perish like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I tell you one drop of that blood is worth more than not only every one of those houses on Jacksonville Beach down to St. Augustine Beach. We're talking all the wealth in the world not, combined doesn't, doesn't value, doesn't cost as much as one drop of the blood of God, which was paid to purchase you, to purchase your freedom. Now the Bible does say you can choose whether or not to make good on that purchase. You can reject it, you can reject God, or you can embrace him. Thank you, God, for paying for my redemption, for my freedom with your blood. So no longer, when, once you're a child of God, once you're a son, once you're a freeman, uh, the law no longer has a, a, a right to wag its, its finger in your face. You're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty. You're not good enough, you're not good enough, you're not good enough. You have to do more, you have to do more, you have to do more. Shame, shame, shame. Doesn't have that right anymore. Now you can say, get out of here, man. I'm out of here. I'm going up to sit with Jesus who purchased my freedom. And I tell you, um, I, I literally do this. I, I got the idea from Martin Luther. It says in the book of Ephesians, it says that he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And even once or twice this week, I'm like, I'm out of here. My mind's going crazy. I'm going crazy. I am just taken up off and I'm just going to sit with Jesus. That's where he wants me. He purchased my freedom not to be far from him, but to be sitting with him. He purchased your freedom, not for you to be standing outside the palace looking in, but by coming right into the throne room. It all begins, of course, with a question. How do you go about going from being a slave? There are some, I believe, in here who are currently today sitting down. You're a slave. You're on the broad road that leads to destruction, that leads to hell. How do I go from being a slave to being a freedman, a son or the daughter? John chapter 1, verse 12. It's so easy. It says, as many as received Jesus Christ, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. So let's get back to our verse. Verse 1. Let's look at it again. Did anybody, everyone get a Bible, by the way? We were really scrambling for Bibles. If you could raise your hand if you don't have one yet. But so again, it says, stand fast, verse 1, Galatians 5, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with the yoke of 
bondage. So freedom here means your freedom was purchased by God by the blood of Jesus. You're no longer guilty because Jesus became guilty for you on the cross. You no longer have to try to be good enough for God because Jesus was perfect for you. He's not only good, he was perfect for you. You no longer have to do more and more and more and more to please God because Jesus did everything. You can't do anything more. You're free. But notice it says, stand fast, verse 1, stand fast in the liberty and do not, end of the verse, and do not become entangled again in a yoke of bondage or a yoke of slavery. That's speaking to you. It's speaking to me. Don't get all caught up again in a yoke, in a, the bondage of being a slave. Don't do it is what he's saying to you and me this morning. Other translations say, stand firm and don't let yourself be tied up again in a yoke of slavery. Stand strong in that freedom. Don't go back to slavery again. Why is Paul saying this? Why is he saying, stand fast, stand firm, stand strong? Don't go back into slavery. Why is he saying this? The answer is that every day, Something or someone's going to try to drag you back down into slavery. And Paul is saying in verse 1, stand firm. Don't do it. Fight. You got to fight for your freedom. That's where we sort of left off a couple weeks ago. We're talking about where this fight takes place. Now, at one level, the fight takes place right here. Is this four inches or three inches? One of you doctors shouted out. Well, what is this? Is this three inches between my, my temples? Two inches? Four inches? Depends how smart you are. I, well, whatever. I, I, but most of, on one level, the fight takes place right here. You think you're a Christian and you have that filthy gunk Garbage sewerage in your mind? You think you're a Christian and you talk like that's your wife? You think you're a Christian and, and you did that? Don't even think about praying to God or being in church. Again, we saw this verse. Um, we looked at this verse. It's from Galatians chapter 5. It says that the flesh fights against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. That's really talking about the battle that's right in here. That just goes on during the day. The flesh stirred up by the, uh, by the devil. And, uh, but, but for a, a person who is a Christian, the Bible says repeatedly, uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, 2 Corinthians last chapter, do you not realize that the spirit of God is within you? If the Spirit of God is within you, the Spirit, you have been given the privilege as a child of God for the Spirit who is in you, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit that comes in and invades and possesses a man or woman the moment they believe in Jesus Christ, you have the privilege of calling upon the Spirit, calling upon God, calling upon this help so that the Spirit prevails over the flesh. So 1 John chapter um, 4, famous verse, verse 4, he who is in you, that's referring to the Holy Spirit, is greater than he who is in the world. And then Romans 8 says this, it's a wonderful verse to memorize, if the Spirit of him 
who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So, you, so you, you, you answer the question, please. Shout it out, many of you. Who wins the battle? The spirit of the flesh. The spirit, unless you're running away from God. Unless you're just, you're, you're just disobedient, you're not interested in victory, you're not interested in, in winning or obeying. The spirit, greater is the spirit, the one who is in you. And the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal body. We read in Romans chapter 8. So, when your flesh is fighting against your spirit, you're a spiritual loser. You're the worst excuse of a Christian. You respond back. I'm not listening to that. God took me away from my slave master, which is the law, and brought me to Jesus Christ. I'm no longer owned by a slave master. I'm owned by Jesus Christ. I can't tell you the comfort that I have had, even in the last week. By the way, uh, the, uh, you have a a page in your bulletin. Can you pull it out and wave it? Pull it out and wave it. You look on there. Very good. All right. You look on there and at the end of July, we have another what? Scripture memory. A scripture memory night. 12 verses. You want protection against your flesh, protection against the devil of the world? Participate. Well, I'm reading... And memorizing right now Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 and 20, and I can't tell you how blessed I am by these two per verses. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way. I just chew on that, let that saturate in you, let that, someone used the word this week, marinate, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, not by how good you did this morning, not by what you looked at this morning, what you did, what you said, but by the blood of Jesus, you can enter in. The Spirit prevails over the flesh, but sometimes the fight is all inside here. But what I want to talk about now is the fight that's not inside here it's out there it's out there it's all around it's 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 uh, on the internet and it's on whatever podcasts it's on the radio it's it's in pulpits and in and i and i'm talking now about religious church people, preachers, uh, people who look like they're Christians, they call themselves Christians, and um, they will try to pull you down into slavery. And Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 says, don't let them do it, Calvary Chapel. Don't let them do it. Stand fast, stand firm, stand strong. Now, what are you talking about out there? Give me one example. Well, there's one right here. It's not really prevalent anymore, but the one that they give here is circumcision. Verse 2, read it with me, please. Chapter 5 of Galatians, verse 2, says, indeed, indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, 
Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. Verse 4, for you have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by the law, and you've fallen from grace. So this circumcision thing, what had happened, Paul had come into this area of Galatia. He had presented the good news of Jesus Christ, that through faith in Jesus Christ, believing what he did on the cross for you, he paid your sins, he purchased freedom with his blood, you're free. And you can't add nothing to that, to his payment. A church was established. He leaves after a while to start another church. Others come in and say, well, that's not enough. The blood of Jesus is not enough. You got to be a good Jew. You got to be circumcised. And this is to Gentiles who were non-Jews. And so what happened, some of them, what they were doing is trying to drag them back down into slavery. Paul is saying, stand fast, stand firm. Don't be asleep, be awake. Don't let them do it. Again, the end of verse one, don't be entangled again with the yoke of slavery. And you say, how does this apply today? in about 10,000, 100,000 ways. I mean, constantly, religious people will be trying to drag you down into slavery. They will try to complicate what is incredibly simple. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, I fear lest, like Satan tempted Eve, you are being tempted to leave the simplicity of the gospel. The Christian life is oh so simple. It's so simple. <laughs> Write down this verse, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Four things. You read the word, you're under the word, you're in fellowship with other believers, you pray and you have communion. But oh boy, will religious tr people try to add to that. So we saw one example was um, Circumcision, that was 2,000 years ago. But today, I mean, there's so many others. Now, there's, there's some that are more or less becoming relics of the past, but in some churches, it's still an issue. You will have religious people tell you that it is forbidden to read any version of the Bible instead of the King James Bible. You will have people. That's Again, this is sort of becoming a thing of the past. You will have... Uh, people saying that women must wear dresses only on Sunday, pants are forbidden, men must wear suits. You'll have other people, you know, no playing sports on Sundays. The, this was a big, big deal like 50, 75 years ago. In, in some ways, you know, you hear people, it's, oh, it's, you know, so much worse today than it was 50 years ago. Not, not, not all things. There's a lot more grace being taught in church today, in my opinion, than from what I can read, than 50 to 100 years ago. These things are starting um, to be a thing of the, uh, of the path. But believe me, there's so much other stuff out there right now, and I want to tell you just a few. There's some really loud, religious, angry people who believe that for a church to have Sunday school or youth group is wrong, it's sin, 
it's against the Bible. The youth should be in the service. And, they, they, and don't, let me be very clear. They don't say, oh, we like our kids in the service, but other churches, they're accountable to God and they make their own decision. No, this is good for no one. And you need to find a new church. If your church has Sunday school, it's out there. It's on the internet. Let me give you another example. I just saw a video by a very well-known Christian preacher. If I said his name, half of you would know his name. The whole video was about it's wrong to tell anyone just on the street that you don't know, God bless you. And he goes through, he's a very well-known man, a very well-known uh, uh, preacher, and he goes through all his arguments, and his argument is that, you know, you may say, God bless you, and that may, may, may make someone feel secure in their salvation, but they're lost. They don't care about God, and you're lulling them into a false sense of security. That sounds really reasonable, doesn't it? The problem is, he's made it into a law, and whenever you start, it, it, and, and wherever there's a law, to be sure, someone's going to add a thousand more after it. Not only that, what he's saying is non-biblical. Jesus Christ says in Luke 6.36, God blesses, he is kind to the evil and the ungrateful. So you go do Likewise. So I understand the point, but, but, and again, I want to be very clear. In this video, this man is making a law. He's trying to drag people down into slavery. You are forbidden as a Christian from saying, God bless you. Now, let me give you another one that's a little closer to, um, closer to uh, home. Dan DeHart, the worship leader, and I, Occasionally, we are told, you know, you guys really shouldn't be singing hill songs or songs from Bethel. And I don't want to offend anyone, but every time I'm told this by someone, and, and fortunately, my memory is not what it was 20 years ago, so I don't remember if it was you. <laughs> but when someone tells me this, I always, it, it, it's always, I, I just, there's that finger wagging at me. The law, you know, the slave master, it's, it's the law. And I tell you, I'm not going to be dragged down into a yoke of slavery. So their reasoning is, is that Hillsong, there's been a bunch of scandals. Bethel, there's been reports of some teaching and practicings, uh, practices that they do that are, um, uh, that are wrong. Some of them, some of those reports are inaccurate. Some are accurate. But guess what? We look over the songs. The songs are biblically accurate. The songs bring us into the presence of God. And so we're going to sing them. And listen, I don't care if Mick Jagger writes a song, Lady Gaga, if it is a Bible scripturally, you can sing it. Now, now, but now, now let me also say this, it, it, because I, I know I just offended like half a dozen people. Listen. <laughs> If you don't want to sing it, if you don't want to sing it, it's perfectly fine not to sing it. There are musical Christian artists that do certain stuff. I stop singing it. I won't get into the details. But if you don't want to sing a song, 
because a, a, a Hillsong or a Bethel or Lady Gaga does a perfectly scriptural uh, song. And if, if you don't want to sing it, that's fine. Just don't make your light into my law. Don't you drag me down into slavery. And hence the saying here, and this is a very important saying, very simple. Don't make your light into my law. No, uh, <laughs> let me have that again. No hagas tu luz en mi ley. And the next one is this. Don't let my light become your law. So let me tell you about some things that are my light. Some things that are my light. So don't gasp when you hear this. But uh, I don't do any social media. I don't do any internet, basically. World Wide Web, news, basketball scores, Facebook, whatever before 5 p.m. Never. And it's just because I don't want to be distracted. I don't want to be pulled down into that. I know what it does to my mind. I, I, I don't want to do it. So I fast every day, actually every Saturday and Sunday also, the whole weekend. I don't do it. But can we have that last one again? Don't let my light become your law. Don't do it. No dejes que mi luz se convierta en tu ley. I, I, and, and I remember there was about 15 years ago or something, my wife, Stephanie, and I, we decided to have the same email address, slsp at gmail.com. You can email me. Tell me all good things. Don't say you're offended at this one. But um, now you can, you can. But um, uh, so we did that. And the reason we just have one email address, we don't have two, because I want to be accountable. Some woman's writing something inappropriate to me. I want my wife to see it. If some guy's writing to my wife, I want, uh, I want to see it if it's, if it's inappropriate. But after a couple of years, I found out that there was this thing in the church. Now, this is many, many years ago. There was this thing in the church. You're not spiritual if you're married unless you have one email address. I was like, What? Don't, please, Lord. I, I'm not saying you should not be thinking about these things. I'm not saying you shouldn't protect your marriage. I'm not saying that you should put real strict boundaries around certain things. But don't make my light into your law. Everyone following me? Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by what, which Christ has made us free. Don't let someone else, don't let me drag you down into slavery or take you away from the simplicity of Christ. Let's keep on reading there. Verse five. For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. <clears throat> For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working itself through love. The only thing that matters is your faith in Christ and how it works out in loving others and loving God. That is the only thing that matters. St. Augustine said, love God and then do anything you want. And it's, it's a scripturally accurate statement. 
Because you're, you, you will be living a pure, good, Christ-like lo- a life if you're loving God. Then it says, uh, continuing on in verse 7, you ran well, meaning you were doing good. You, you were filled with joy. You were, you were loving God. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Like, who, who did this to you? How did you possibly believe when these people came in and they started dragging you down into, back into slavery? Verse 8. This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. Meaning, this is not from God. This is man who did this to you. Verse 9, a little leaven, leavens the whole lump. What that means is just a little bit of this nonsense legalism will wind up just pervading the whole body, the whole person. You make up one law, you're going to, and you make it a law that's not in the Bible anywhere. It's just your idea. That little law is going to become, I don't know how many laws. I shared with you a, a, a couple months ago, there was a woman at the door telling me that this church needed to meet on Saturday, not Sunday, even though the book of Colossians chapter 2 and Romans chapter 14 make it clear otherwise that we have the freedom. Well, that particular church, they don't stop at that that law. It's also no pork. It's also no lobster. It's also no alcohol. Now, I don't drink alcohol, but that's my choice. It's not a law in the Bible. The Bible teaches moderation. The Bible teaches that uh, drunkenness is a sin or drinking in front of an alcoholic is sin. That's Romans chapter 14. But don't make no alcohol a law. Don't do it. Don't let anyone do that to you. Don't be, let someone drag you down into a yoke of slavery. Then it says this in verse 10. I have confidence in you. And so here is a, a sort of a, a, he has a father's heart for them. He's led them to the Lord. He has seen their sincere hearts. He believes they're going to come back. They've been rescued with slavery. They're going back into slavery and they're, and, and, they're, and they're coming out of it. I have confidence in you and the Lord that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. I feel sorry for the guy in spite of all the other things that he's done. Uh, that video about saying, making a law, God bless you, he's in trouble with the Lord. That's this verse right here. There's judgment for people who uh, do things like that. It says in verse 11, I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, meaning if I join up with these people saying to be a Christian, you have to be circumcised, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. So the the offense of the cross, what he means by that, it's the cross plus nothing that gets you saved and into a relationship with God. That's offensive to many people. You're telling me I can live any way I want for the rest of my life and just accept Jesus at the end of my life? Because it's not by works, it's by grace? Well, yes, I am saying that. I wouldn't want to be the person to live my whole life without Christ. But yes, uh, we say that, just like the thief on the cross. And then um, it, it says the most shocking statement in the book, verse 12. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. Now, Those of you who have been studying the Bible know what that's saying. The translators were too embarrassed to say what it says. What it's saying is, 
I wish those people would be castrated. That's what most translation says. Now, the, um, the, N, the, the NTE actually says, don't stop with circumcision, cut the whole thing off. That's what it says. Listen, it's just what it says. And you have to ask yourself, what is wrong with this guy? Like, why, why is he so incredibly intense about this subject? We saw in, in, in the first chapter what he said. He said, anybody who teaches another gospel, let them be eternally condemned. And then just in case no one noticed it, I don't see how they could. He repeats it again in the next verse. Anyone who teaches another gospel, cr the cross plus something else, let them be eternally condemned. This is incredibly serious, grave stuff. Why, so, so why is he getting so intense? Why is it? There, there's, there's, there's two reasons. One thing is that teaching, teaching the cross, faith in Jesus, plus circumcision and don't listen to a video, I, I, I mean, don't tell people God bless you, don't listen to Hillsong, these kind of things, you have to be these other things, only let, read the King James Version. That can actually keep someone out of heaven. You can block someone from ever becoming a Christian. Jesus says in Matthew 25, uh, I think it's verse 13, he says, when you go around teaching and adding to the cross, you make them twice as much a son of hell as you are. He's speaking to people who are out religious, preaching the law. But even, even more intense, I think he says in Matthew 23, verse 15, he's speaking to religious leaders and he says this. He says the prostitutes and the thieves, the tax collectors, are getting into the kingdom of God before you. Why does he say that? Because a prostitute, and again, we ministered uh, to, to many prostitutes in Kensington, but many, many prostitutes down in Fortaleza and our trips down there to Brazil. They know they have nothing to offer God. They get it. They actually get what every, very few other people don't get, but must get in order to be saved, in order to enter into a relationship with God. We don't have anything to offer God. And he's saying the prostitutes, this is Jesus speaking, Matthew 21, verse 31. The prostitutes and the thieves, the tax collectors, get into the kingdom of God before you. Jesus got right up in their face the most pious, religious, holy-looking people that existed at the time. And this is what he was telling them. Because they get it and you don't. Paul's really intense. Last week, Pastor Keith talked about you and me going from glory to glory. You say, why is Paul so intense here? Because you're not going to be able to go from glory to glory unless you know you're free. Unless you, it, you're not going to go from glory to glory acting like a slave. You got to know you're free. The blood of Jesus. God the Father paid your purchase play, price with the blood of his son and took you from your slave master, the law and the devil and brought you into the arms of Jesus Christ. 
Now, when you just rest in that and you walk in that, you will go from glory to glory. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up at this time. And I'm going to ask you to rise for our closing worship song. If you could rise, stand for our closing worship song. If you've been asked to pray, if you could continue to come up. A few of the guys and I are reading a, a, a book about contentment, the contentment that can come through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And one of the lines that I loved this week from this book was written in the 1600s, a guy named Jeremiah Burroughs, was that one of the ways contentment comes is when your will melts into the will of God. Your will will melt into the will of God once you truly understand, not only intellectually, but in your heart, that you're free, that you're no longer a slave. You're not fearful of him. You're not wondering if he's angry at you today. So be, he's not angry at you. He's not, he, 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 the, the Bible says that he, it, all his thoughts are only good for you, to you all the time. You're a son or a daughter. Once you get that, once you're free, You'll be okay with his will, even if it's incredibly hard, because you know he's good. That's why Paul is getting, says like crazy nutty stuff when he's talking about these things, because it, it, it means so much. God's looking for his glory. He's looking for his glory in your life. I want you to come up and pray with us. If you have anything, anything that was said that just stirred in your heart, We've been talking about this slavery versus freedom thing for many weeks now. We're going to continue praying about it right now. If you'd like me or someone else, one of these other prayer partners, just to, to pray for you. That you would be a person, become a person who, who stands firm. You fight. You, you, whenever the, the yoke of slavery is coming up in between these two ears, these two temples that you have, or if they're coming for you from the outside, maybe they're coming to you because of a, a religious past that still points its, points its finger at you. Come up, we'll pray for you. The Bible says if we should be praying for, for one another. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just thank you for this time. I pray in Jesus' name. Lord, take us to glory as we're closing out this service. Amen.